Do you know what it means to be poor in spirit? Jesus said in the, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, the New Testament reading that we had today, that happy or blessed is the man who's poor in spirit. But what does that mean? To be poor in spirit means to be humbled. It means to be laid low. It means to be stripped of your pride. You're humble because you finally, finally believe what the Bible has to say about you is true. You finally see yourself as you really are. You're beautiful because you're made in the image of God, but you're also broken because you're a sinner. God has told you, O oh man, what is good. He has told you what he requires of you. You're to love justice. You're to love kindness. You're to walk humbly with your God. You're to love your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And you are to love your neighbor as yourself. But do you do these things? Do you do any of them well? Let me answer my own question. Okay? I don't. I don't do them, and I don't do them very well. You see, I, I know what is good. I, I know what is right. I know what God requires of me. I know what I'm supposed to do. But I don't do it. True, there are days when I want to love God and I want to keep His commandments, but let's be honest, there are days when I just don't want to bother. I don't want to love Him well. I don't want to love my wife or friends or neighbors well. I just want to love me. I'm pretty selfish. Even on my best days, even days when I'm trying to, to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, even when I'm trying to love my neighbor as myself, even then, I fail. And I fail constantly. And Megan knows I'm telling the truth. She lives with me. <laughs> she knows I'm telling the truth. She knows that it's true that I am a broken, banged up, messed up sinner who needs Jesus. Friends, I'm wondering, are we in the same boat here? Do you know your brokenness? Are you aware of your need? Do you know what it means to be poor in spirit because if you do, listen to what Jesus has to say to you. He says that you're blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because he came to save people like you. The kingdom of heaven is for people like you. Jesus also said in his Sermon on the Mount that blessed is the one who mourns. Who mourns his sin. Who mourns the sins of others. Who mourns the brokenness of this world. Blessed is he. Why? Because he's going to be comforted. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. In Psalm 131, 131, we meet a man like this. Okay, in Psalm 131, we meet a man who is poor in spirit. He's been mourning, but tears have been wiped from his eyes. The image that is given us here is that of a child who has been crying, but who's now in his mother's lap, and he's calm, and he's quiet. And that, my friends, is what I want to investigate today. And I want to do that with you. And as we do so, okay, three lessons are going to pop from the page. There are three verses in Psalm 131, and there are three lessons for us today. First, we need to know ourselves, but not justify ourselves. Secondly, bring yourself to Jesus and find your comfort in the arms of God. And third, 
Know where your hope truly lies. Okay, the first point is that we need to know ourselves but not justify ourselves. Secondly, we need to bring ourselves to Jesus and find our comfort in the arms of God. And thirdly, we need to know where our hope truly lies. Well, let's begin here with point number one, and which begins with verse number one. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Okay, in this verse, we are introduced to David, a man who's poor in spirit, a man who's been stripped of his pride. In verse 1, David says, my heart is not lifted up. Okay, this is an idiom that simply means I've been humbled. You know, I've been stripped of my pride. Other good Bible translations read, my heart is not proud. And then David goes on to say, my eyes are not raised too high. That is to say, my eyes are not haughty. You know, I'm not looking down on other people. Why is David so humble? Why doesn't he look down on his neighbors with pride or contempt? Well, the short answer is this. David knows that he's a sinner. Okay, he knows that he's no better than anybody else. David can say with Isaiah, okay, all of us have become like one who's unclean. You know, all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. And that's not true of you and you and you, but not me. That's true of all of us. We're all on the same spiritual plane here. Okay? We're on, we're on equal footing. We're all sinners. And that is why David's poor in spirit. That's why he doesn't have haughty eyes. Okay? Well, how does one become poor in spirit? And it's kind of an important question to ask because Jesus says it's this kind of person who's blessed. So how does one become poor in spirit? Well, the way to become poor in spirit is to take a good, hard look at God. Okay? Look, look at Him. Read this book about Him. Read His laws. Read what God expects and requires of us, men and women who are made in His image. Better yet, look at Jesus. Okay? Jesus who was and is fully God and fully man, shows us who God really is, and he also shows us what it means to be fully human, what we were created to be like. Okay? He is perfectly God, and he is perfectly man. And Jesus' perfection and his purity is what makes him so beautiful and attractive, and it's also what makes him so darn threatening and dangerous. Jesus, I don't, I don't know if this is your experience, but it, it's certainly true of, of mine. Jesus is the most beautiful person I've ever met. He is, I believe, the most beautiful person who has ever walked this earth. I love him. I, I think he's amazing. And if you look at the way he keeps the law of God, it's perfect. Look at his kindness and compassion towards others. Look at the way that Jesus loves people who our society deems unlovable. And look at the way that he treats people who hate him and who hurt him. His character is so good. Okay, it is so beautiful. It is so perfect. And this is what makes him so appealing and so attractive to us. And it's also that very thing that makes him so darn threatening. Okay, his light is so good. It's so pure, which is why we're drawn to it. But when we're close to it, when we're next to it, we begin to see our imperfections. We begin to see that he's good, but I'm not. By comparison, I'm sick. 
I'm not well. Think about it like this, okay? Uh, you go to the movies, uh, and at the movies, somebody hits your elbow and you spill Coke on your shirt, and you realize halfway through that you just sat on a melted junior mint. All right? This happens to me all the time. <laughs> um, Megan gets to, she does my laundry often, thank you. <laughs> but this happens to me all the time. I, somebody hits my elbow, I get Coke on my shirt, I sat in a melted junior mint, I rub buttered popcorn grease on my pants, and in the dark, it's okay. You know, you think that you're pretty good. Nobody can see that you're gross. <laughs> but as soon as you step out of that darkened theater into the light, it becomes pretty apparent that you are filthy, that you're kind of messed up, that you look kind of nasty. Okay? Well, looking at God and, and getting close to Jesus is sort of like that. You know, in the dark, you thought you were good. You thought you were A-okay. But now that you're in the light, okay, it's impossible to hide your spiritual ugliness. Okay? He sees it. You see it. Other people begin to see it. And that's why Jesus is threatening and dangerous. Okay? This helps explain why Peter, you know, when he catches a glimpse of who Jesus really is, falls down to his knees and says, Depart from me, O Lord. I'm a sinful man. Jesus is threatening. His goodness can be overwhelming. The prophet Isaiah had a similar experience. You know, he, he has this vision of God, God upon his throne, and he cries out, Woe is me, I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, we think we're good, we think we're all right, but then we see Jesus, and we see what goodness really is like, and all of a sudden we realize, I'm not good, right? I'm not well, I'm not worthy. And David knows what this is like, okay? He knows who God is, he knows who he himself is, he knows that he's a sinner, he knows that he is broken, he knows that there's a heaven, but he deserves hell, he knows he needs God's mercy, and that, friends, is why he is poor in spirit. Okay? He knows he's a sinner. He knows his lack. Okay? He knows, again, that there is a heaven, but he deserves hell, and that he is at the mercy of God. You know, an accurate view of God and an accurate view of yourself will leave you poor in spirit. Like David, you too will be stripped of your pride. You're going to be humbled. The question that confronts all of us now is, are you, have you been? Do you know yourself? Do you know yourself like this? Do you know that you're a sinner in the sight of God? Do you know that there is a heaven, but you deserve hell? Do you know that you're at the mercy of God? If you are, you are poor in spirit. If you are poor in spirit, okay, let me point out something that you already know, that you already feel. You feel a strong desire and temptation to justify yourself. You don't like being poor in spirit. Okay, you don't like being told that you're broken and that you're needy. You don't like being told that. I don't like being told that. Nobody likes that feeling. Okay? And so you get defensive. You try to prove to God and to others that you're okay, that you're really not that bad. But David is saying, know thyself, but don't justify thyself. Okay? And listen to how he says that. He says that at the end of verse 1. David says, I do not occupy myself with things too great 
into marvelous for me. What does David mean here? David's not saying be lazy or run from responsibility or take shortcuts or, I don't know, um, don't ask big questions. You know, that's not what this verse means. What David is saying is know thyself, and once you know thyself, don't try to justify thyself. Okay? Think back to that movie theater. You know, you've got that black Coke stain on your shirt. you got that melted Junior Mint on your seat. And then you step into the light. And it's obvious that you're unclean and gross and nasty. And you don't like feeling gross and unclean and nasty. So what do you do? You kind of get defensive. You try and minimize it. You're like, oh, it's not that bad. It's just a smudge. You know? Or you get even worse. Maybe you get cocky about it. You're like, what are you looking at? You don't like junior mints? You know? (laughs) When our sin gets shown to us, this is what we do. We try to, to justify ourselves, and we do it in all sorts of ways. We try to minimize our, uh, the sin. We say it's really not that bad. Or we try to maximize ourselves, sort of at the expense of others. Oh yeah, well at least I'm not like that guy over there. Or we'll get really, really busy trying to do good stuff. To try to prove to God and to everybody else, you thought I was bad, but look over here, I'm doing all this amazing stuff. I'm really not as bad as you think. Okay, And that is what David is saying here. He's saying, don't do that. Don't try to justify yourself. Don't minimize your sin. Don't maximize yourself. Don't look down upon other people. And don't get really busy. Don't occupy yourselves with all these great and marvelous things trying to prove to God and to other people that you're not a sinner, that you're really not all that bad. Okay? You know, it's ironic that when we actually do those things, when we try to justify ourselves that we just end up proving how sick we really are, how sick of, with pride we are. You know, our pride really gets in the way of hearing the truth, of, of receiving God's love, and experiencing healing. We're proud people. We hate to admit our failure. We hate to admit our need for help. But that's precisely what we need to do. And that brings us to point number two. Okay. What does David do when he is poor in spirit? You know, what does he do when he sees himself for who he really is? A sinner in the sight of God and others. And does he try to to justify himself? No, he doesn't do that. He brings himself, tears and all, to God. And there in his arms... David finds the comfort that he needs. And friends, we need to do that sin. Know thyself, but don't justify thyself. And then bring thyself to Jesus and find your comfort in the arms of God. Okay, look at what David writes in verse number two. He says there, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. David says in these verses that he's calm and quiet now. But we can infer from this that there was a time when he was not calm and he wasn't quiet. Before going to God, David was not quiet but anxious or busy. Maybe he was trying to justify himself too. You know? We can also infer that he was not calm but upset. Upset over his sin, upset over the sins of others, 
upset with the brokenness of this world. But David is calm now, but there was a time when he was mournful. Okay, David was mournful, and and here's kind of the logic of it, right? David's poor in spirit. He's face to face with God in his righteousness. He sees himself then as unclean, unrighteous, unwell, and he sees his need, he sees his lack, he sees his great poverty of spirit, and it moves him to tears. He weeps over the sin that's within him. He's weeping over the sin that he sees in the world around him. He hates the ways in which his individual sins have offended God and have hurt people that he loves. He knows what it's like to cry out, O wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this? Right? But he knows that the question, or the the answer to that question can't be, I'm the solution. He's the one with the problem. Who's, O wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? It's not me. It's got to be somebody else. So instead of trying to save himself, instead of trying to justify himself, Instead of trying to do all these great and marvelous things to mask or hide or flat out deny that he's a sinner, David brings himself and all of his junk to God. And there in his arms, David finds the comfort that he needs. In the arms of God, we can find the same sort of comfort too. Okay, verse 2 reads, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, Like a weaned child is my soul within me. The image here is that of a child fully satisfied with milk that has come from his mother's breast. And the child is resting calmly and quietly in his mother's arms. This, David says, has been my experience with God. I came to God anxious and upset. But I have been calmed and quieted with spiritual milk, as it were, that has come from God's proverbial breast. Okay, I've drunk deeply of this milk, and it has brought calm and quiet to my life and to my soul. What is David talking about? What were the words that were whispered over him? What was this milk that quieted his soul? Well, these soothing words, this spiritual milk, friends, what we are talking about is the gospel. Now, I know this word gospel gets tossed around a lot in Christian circles, but let's be very clear then about what it means. The gospel means good news, and it's the good news that God loves and saves sinners. That is what the gospel is. God saves broken, messed up, unclean people like David, and God saves broken, messed up people like you and me. Okay, you have heard it said that God helps those who help themselves. Friends, that is not the gospel. The gospel is that God saves messed up people. God saves those who cannot help themselves, but who in desperation turn to God for mercy and for grace. God saves the poor in spirit. Hear it again. God saves the poor in spirit. And do you see how much better this is than trying to save yourself or justify yourself? Friends, God wants to save you And you don't need to clean yourself up beforehand. Go as you are. It's like the song that we sing so often here. Come ye sinners poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, 
you will never come at all. Let not conscience make you linger, not a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Instead of justifying yourself or trying to save yourself, please go to Jesus. There in his arms, you will find the comfort that your soul so desperately longs for and needs. This brings us to point number three. But before we go there, let's just recap. Let's just review uh, where we've been and what we've said so far. Okay, we've said that we need to know thyself, but not justify thyself, right? We need to see ourselves as we truly are, as sinners in the sight of God as well as man, right? And rather than running from this reality or trying to mask or hide or deny it, we need to bring our sinful selves to Jesus and find our comfort in the arms of God. We need to drink deeply the the spiritual milk that is the gospel. We need to hear these words and take them deep into our soul that God loves and saves sinful, broken people. God helps those who are completely hopeless and helpless and are desperate for Him. And this brings me to our third point in the final verse of Psalm 131. Okay, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Point number three, know where your hope truly lies. Know where your hope truly lies. Let's be clear what David means when he talks about hope here in this verse and what I mean by hope. Okay, in this context, hope is whatever you were looking to to save you. Your hope is that person or place or thing that you're looking to for salvation. And David says, hope in the Lord. Okay, but what are some other things that we might hope in? Yeah, yeah, we can hope in ourselves. Often we do that, right? What's the problem with that? Well, we're sick, right? We're sick and we can't make ourselves well. Imagine you go to a doctor's office and he tells you, you've got a really bad problem with your heart. It's really, really sick and we need to do open heart surgery. Does it make any sense to grab the scalpel out of somebody's hand and be like, it's okay, I got this, I'm going to do this myself. And that's crazy. If it's perceived, right, that you have a sick heart, you cannot save yourself. You cannot perform open heart surgery on yourself. You need somebody else to do that. You need a great physician. Okay? In a similar way, you... um, you get an invitation to go to a party. It's a black tie event. But unfortunately, the only clothes that you have are full of stains, and they're covered in tears, and they're torn. Does it make any sense to pretend that it's not that bad to just go as you are? To be like, it is just a smudge, or I'm just going to patch myself up. It's not going to work. You're not going to make it through the front door. In that instance, if it's... If you have an invitation to a party, but all of your clothes are filthy and they're rags, you need somebody to give you a fresh pair of clothes. You cannot save yourself. You can't bring yourself into this party, right? You need somebody to give you a fresh pair of clothes. Friends, that's why it's foolish to hope in ourselves. It's a false hope. Okay, there are other things that we can often look to to save us. We talked a little bit about this last week. We can look to money. We can look to medicine. We can look to our technology. 
But then again, all of these things are false hopes as well. Okay? They're false hopes because they don't get at the root of the problem. Our problem is sin. And all the money, the medicine, and the technology in the world cannot fix that. Okay? All the money and, and medicine and technology in the world cannot fix our sinfulness. It cannot end war. It cannot end prejudice. It cannot end racism. It can't get rid of the sickness that's in my heart or your heart. And that, friends, is why we need to hope in the Lord. Okay? Where do we look for hope? David says, hope in the Lord, Israel, from this time forth forevermore. We have this problem called sin. We can't fix it. Money, medicine, technology can't fix it. But God, our maker and our Savior, can. Only God can heal your broken heart. Okay? Only God can forgive your sin. Only He can give you His Spirit that will give you faith, that will aid you in your fight and sin. Only He can give you robes of righteousness that will last forever. He is the one you need. You know? Blessed, Jesus said, are the poor in spirit. Blessed are, know, are those who know that they are sinners, who've come to the end of themselves, who know that they cannot save themselves who turn to God instead for help. Blessed are they, he says, because he's come for people like that. He's come for people like you. To you belongs the kingdom of heaven. Okay, and Jesus also said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn their sin, who hate their sin, and what it's done to them, and what it's done to this world. Jesus says, I hate it too. But you know what? I've done something about it. I've lived the life that you ought to live. I've died the death you deserve to die. And if you put your faith and hope and trust in me, you will live forever. On that day, he's going to wipe tears from our eyes. Friends, Jesus is the one who saves the poor in spirit. So let us find our rest and our place with him. All right? Let's pray.